Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. I'm so glad you're back. I have a treat for you. I have Sherry Elise, who is joining me today. Sherry is known as America's joy magnet because she's just so infectiously joyous. And um, beyond being known as America's joy magnet, she's also an international motivational speaker, a best-selling author, and a joy coach. Uh, Sherry has built a community of over 150,000 followers and has reached over 10 million people. That is a lot of joy to spread around. Um, Sherry's deep commitment to others is motivated by her own journey through childhood sexual abuse and other childhood traumas. At seven years old, Sherry found herself having to use her voice on a witness stand to testify against the man who had abused her. She now uses her voice to speak around the world on self-worth, mindset, overcoming obstacles, and how to live a joy-filled life. In 2013, Sherry co-founded one of the first online holistic wellness directories and communities. She's been featured on numerous media outlets, including ABC, Fox, NBC, CBS Radio, Huffington Post, Thrive Global, to name a few. She has gone on to executive produce and host multiple online TV and radio shows, most recently the talk show Heart to Heart. And over the last 15 years, Sherry has reached thousands of people with her inspirational videos, speaking engagements, coaching, and writings. Sherry's book, Love Yourself Happy, quickly became a number one release and international bestseller. And Sherry believes that in the radical acceptance and connection to ourselves, we truly can live a joy-filled life. And I have to say, I second her belief in this. I believe that we have the capacity to tap back into our joy, to find the path to happiness. And regardless of the trauma in your history and your past, it doesn't mean that you are condemned to live a life of suffering. So this is one of the reasons that I really love Sherry's work and she helps people to reconnect to those parts of themselves that they thought were lost. So I'm excited for you to tune into today's episode. So without further ado, here's my interview with Sherry Elise. All right. So Sherry, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm like just beyond thrilled because I love your energy, your message and everything that you stand for and are putting out in the world today more than ever when it's needed. So thanks for, you know, for being here with us. My goodness. Thank you for having me. I love everything, everything that you're doing. So I'm honored and grateful to share this time and space with you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we we've connected in other spaces. And so, you know, just a mutual admiration for the work we're doing, I think, um, because we're both wanting to help those who have experienced trauma and trauma can, 
look so many different ways. It can, it can be from so many different places and types of experiences. And of course, as you know, uh, here at About Consent, it is uh, about sexual trauma and you are a survivor as well. And it was one of the things that, um, you know, seeing how you've overcome and how you've taken that pain and transformed it and what you're doing in the world. Um, I just admire it. And I love that, you know, you've, you've written a book and you have a community and you're continuing to show up for them. Um, so first of all, one of the things that I really love about what you do is that you talk about radical self-acceptance and, you know, the, what's really powerful about that is that, you know, you, you may have this experience or had it, um, but a lot of survivors go through this really negative experience about their value and, you know, their place in the world and accepting themselves, right? Because I think culturally, which I'm currently trying to dismantle, is this idea of shame around our experiences and the things that were done to us even if we were tricked into believing that somehow we were complicit or somehow it was our fault, um, there's this, you know, even if we move away from that logically, we still have these feelings of low self-worth and self-esteem. And this idea of radical self-acceptance, I think is so powerful, so needed. And I love the way that you frame it. So can we start by talking about what that means to you? Hmm. Sure. Even as you mentioned that, it's, it's so weird. Like I get such goosebumps because I spent many years in the space you just mentioned, you know, low self-worth, shame, um, disconnected from myself. And anytime that you spend in disconnection from yourself, it's hard to have worth, right? Because you don't know who you are. So you can't find someone or something valuable if you do not know them. And that is the space that I spent years in because as someone who experienced trauma, like us all, you know, I disconnected from myself. It was too painful to be in that space with myself and, and those wounds and that shame. And so I spent those years running from myself and trying to find my worth and my value through other people, specifically through men. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of self-acceptance what is so powerful about it and what I've come to realize and, and teach and share and uncover about it is that self-acceptance is not about everything having to be perfect and that there are days and moments that are hard. Just this morning, I was taking a walk around and I was crying. I was mm -hmm. feeling pained today. And where in the past, I would be like, what's wrong with you? Like why you should be past this. You should, you know, be feeling differently. All of these pressures we put on ourselves. I simply self-acceptance is also paired with self-compassion, sat with myself and said, what's going on, Sherry? Mm. What are you feeling today? And so when I talk about radical self-acceptance, it's about seeing myself and being okay with myself in all moments, in my imperfections, mm. in those more challenging days. Yeah. So yeah, it's important for people to realize that you don't hit this pinnacle and suddenly like everything is okay. And even the word overcoming, overcoming trauma, overcoming, like that's, that to me still doesn't sit right with me because I feel like it's something we're always going to be navigating through. And once I was able to accept that part, then I'm able to show up with myself and form myself with more love. 
Yeah, yeah. That gave me a little bit of goosebumps because uh, it really resonates with me and specifically where we, you know, that overcoming piece, like I think a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to go get healed Mm -hmm. and I'm going to overcome and then I'll be fine, right? And I think when we realize that we are like an onion, right? We have so many layers of things that have happened over time. Some things compound on each other. And I mean, we have a, like a whole lifetime of experiences that we've never either dealt with or forgot. And, and just, you know, all of that is gonna at some point come to the surface. And I think we build resilience, right? Through that self-acceptance because we realize like it's okay to love all parts of myself and and that's kind of what i'm hearing you say is like even the parts that we still haven't even accepted like just to have compassion for those will uh, will start to allow you to accept those parts is, is essentially what i'm hearing you say completely and the beautiful thing about the acceptance and the compassion is that you create this sense of safety within yourself, which I think most trauma survivors are seeking is that sense of safety. And I feel that there's this inner wisdom that allows things to come to the surface when we're ready. Mm -hmm. And the more and more that we show ourselves that we are like a soft landing pad, a place to be okay with, I believe the more and more healing we're able to do because the more and more comes up, which I mean, let's be honest, that's scary to think about that there's deeper layers that need to be healed. But when we do bring them to light, it does get easier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think also when we are talking about something that happened at such an early stage in our life, in those years that are so formative, that, you know, we, we kind of fast forwarded to, you know, just growing up, right. And just trying to deal with growing up and all of the crazy changes that happen. And then we hit adulthood and we're like, wait a minute, I didn't deal with stuff. And I haven't talked about those things. And I thought I was okay. And, you know, you mentioned that earlier before we started recording that you thought, you know, I, I thought I was over that, or it was behind me and it, and it was done. Um, can you talk about that? And, and like, maybe share some of your story of, because you know what happened with you was also something that happened in childhood. You felt that you had closure because that person uh, did get arrested and, and did get convicted and, and was in jail. So you felt like you know that was wrapped up. But then you had heard me talk about something related to John Walsh, and that triggered a memory for you, and you realized, wait a minute, like there's still some stuff there that maybe I didn't realize. Can you talk about that and sort of what you what you've done? to support yourself through that sort of, you know, memory and experience and maybe trigger? Sure. So when, so at seven years old, you know, I I was sexually abused by a stranger. And what was interesting that you mentioned when we were talking or you posted about it, about John Walsh, and I grew up in Miami and in Fort Lauderdale is where Adam Walsh was kidnapped and killed. And I didn't remember until you mentioned it because all of a sudden this wave of emotion came back about him and I started seeing flashes of him all over television. And I looked it up and what I realized is that he was kidnapped on my birthday, on my seventh birthday. Mm. And a month later at seven is when I was sexually abused. And I believe that it was the first time that I really, cause I never understood what actually, people always ask me, how did you know to tell on the guy that did it? Like, because I got 
the same thing that a lot of victims do, which was, you know, don't tell, I'm going to hurt your parents. I got that whole thing. And I found some sort of courage to speak up and then to go and prosecute them and be on a witness stand. And so when you mentioned that, I thought, I wonder if all of this attention that was on the news for the month and all of the things and don't let your child go off with, you know, separate from them in a store. And I remember seeing the store, if all of this speaking up really helped me see, because I don't remember my mom sitting with me and talking to me about these kind of things. I mean, I might've heard, you know, you shouldn't go off with strangers, but it was 1981. Nobody mm -hmm. was really, you know, there was nothing, a lot of news around this. So I just, I, I think that why that's so important for me to share is because the, what you, the work you're doing, the more and more that we're speaking up, the more and more children like myself at the time begin to hear and know that this is wrong and that they can say something and do something. So it was just a powerful moment for me, for you to mention that and to put that all together for me, because I've never understood where that strength and courage came from mm. to say that. So I just want to, on a side note, say thank you for that, because uh, yeah. that brought back a lot for me. Uh, I think I forgot the initial question. <laughs> That's okay. No, I was, well, I, the reason I even brought that up was I think uh, I, I've always admired his work and, mm. you know, it was really powerful for me even, you know, as a mom now to recognize that he was such an advocate for kids um, and, and someone that I aspire, you know, to, to try to model after and say like, yeah, we all have to be champions and speak up about these things that are hard. Um, and he was willing to do that at a time then when you, like you said, it wasn't being talked about. And so I'm glad that it was, you know, that, that sort of moment that made you recognize, like, perhaps that was what gave me that uh, idea or courage. You know, I think we all have courage inside of us, but you took that idea and said, I'm going to use my courage to speak up. And, and I mean, it takes tremendous courage to be on a witness stand at that age, let alone like an adult, you know? So, I mean, like kudos to you for having the courage at that age. And obviously you can, you've continued to have it because you've now faced, you know, all of your life, like confronting that situation. And I think also we don't realize the impact, the ripples, you know, that that has, because like you, you did put them away, but mm -hmm. what did that psychologically do, you know, when you were on that stand and taught, you know, having to be vocal about something that, you know, you were threatened about, right? Like, and, and this is not to say to those who were not able to report that that makes you less courageous. You were, you did what you needed to do to survive. Courage shows up in so many different ways, right? And, and so I just want to put that out there also, but I think that will definitely have an impact on a child, right? And, and you kind of felt like you had closed the door and moved on, but then this kind of resurfaced yeah. some of that. So with the work that you're doing now, how did that help you? And what did you do to just, you know, kind of not necessarily bounce back from it, but to recognize like, I still have my power and I'm here and, you know, I'm going to keep moving forward. Well, thank you for reminding me of, you know, that what, what I thought at that time was, you know, I put them away. This is done my nobody in my family wanted to talk about it afterwards because nobody knew how to speak about it so we didn't and so it was something at seven years old that i had to sit with myself and navigate my own emotions and feelings and i obviously wasn't emotionally or mentally prepared psychologically to have any of that placed upon me so i just buried it mm -hmm. uh, 
because I didn't know another way to deal with it. Yeah, and, it's a defense mechanism. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's where I believe the disconnection from self happened. And so then I just spent years, you know, trying to find happiness and just go on with my life. And I remember at certain moments with certain friends mentioning that something had happened to me, but I always felt like I was some sort of outcast or there was something different about me, something wrong with me. Um, but again, I buried it and I didn't realize how it played a part in my behavior with, you know, men and promiscuity with partying, you know, drinking, but mainly with food. Food was how I stuffed down my emotions. And I had gained a lot of weight um, throughout my younger years and into, into my thirties um, because I wasn't willing to sit with what I was feeling. And so those decades of running from myself and everyone always saying to me, you're so happy, you're so happy, you're such a happy person to be around. And there was happiness there because I wasn't facing any of my stuff. But then when I looked at my behavior from the outside and I saw the, the choices that I was making inside, I was like, no, this isn't happy. There's something going on here. And the, 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 more, and, the more and more that I, that I found myself in certain situations, the more became revealed to me, you know, the things that I was experiencing. Why do I keep making these choices with these kinds of men again and again? Why do I keep ending up in these same patterns again and again? Why aren't people respecting me? Why aren't, you know, why aren't they valuing me until I had to be able to start looking at myself and seeing, well, I wasn't doing that. Mm -hmm. I wasn't finding the value in myself. So when I began that search, that's really where my own healing journey began. And it was in that, as I mentioned before, about allowing myself to sit in those places where more and more began to become revealed. And the more and more I was able to connect deeper with myself, which is, was a whole entire divine, some may call it woo-woo moment that I had where I actually- Tell me about that. I, like, I'm, I'm very intrigued and I would love to know more about that. And then obviously how that led to your journey of, first of all, uh, becoming the joy magnet and then writing your book because I, you know, I think that that's just so inspirational for so many people that think, you know, this, ha this trauma happened to me. I'm never going to find happiness. I'm never going to find joy. I've tried. It doesn't work. It's not for me. I'm not, it's just not going to happen. Mm. Uh, I just, I could cry because I just want to say that it is possible. Um, and I get emotional because I know where I came from and what I'm able to experience today. And although I don't seem very joyful right now, but this is where this is coming from because the possibilities for ourselves and the opportunities for us to be able to navigate from that space to where, to the present and to the healing is so powerful. For me, like I said, I, I kept finding myself running uh, into the same situations again and again and blaming everybody else. I used to actually call myself, it's, it's funny to watch myself be called America's joy magnet because I used to call myself the dark cloud mm. um, because I always felt that anytime anything could possibly be going right, like the other shoe dropped and something bad would happen. And one day I remember sitting there thinking, you can't really be that one person that everything bad happens to or life is against. Like, what did you actually do in your life that would make things so bad? And so I began exploring this idea of, well, maybe it's not the world. Maybe it's not life. Maybe I'm looking at myself from a certain lens and maybe I'm the one that's making these choices. 
Mm-hmm. And once I was able to just flip that thing inside my mind, it opened up this world of possibilities like, oh, maybe I don't have to make that choice. Maybe I don't have to pick up that piece of food. Maybe I don't have to date that kind of guy. And so that just like opened up like this thing about choice. And maybe I wasn't sentenced to this life for myself. Mm-hmm. And so then that just that whole exploration of myself began. And as I mentioned, you know, things come to us when it's ready, when, when I believe our inner self knows that we could deal with it. And I was actually, I think it was, it was over a decade ago. I was waiting tables at the time I was pursuing a life of acting, which is interesting in itself, seeking external validation. I could look back at that now and see that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was getting ready for my shift at work. And as I was showering, all of a sudden for the first time in 30 years, that day came back to me um, at seven years old and not just as a thought, but actual physical, I could feel his hands on me. I could feel it. And the way that I was feeling inside the fear, the holding back my voice in that moment, all of it came back. And it was the first time, like I said, that I felt that. And so I just, I found myself on the bottom of my shower, just sobbing and I had to get to work. And I don't know how I got in the car, but I was driving. And then I just just, I always say, like I wrote about it in my book, but it was like sounds that had come out of me that I had never heard, like wailing. And um, I called my boss and I said, and I, you know, mumbled something about abuse and memories and I couldn't come in. And luckily we were friends. So she just said, Sherry, take whatever time you need. Mm. Um, and so I drove back home and I just knew, cause I've always been one that needs to get out on the road and just this, I need to feel free. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that I needed to drive somewhere. And I went to my computer and I'm one person that believes in signs and literally was a pop-up for vacation in Sedona. And I didn't really know much about Sedona except that I had heard it was this healing place with vortexes and all these things. So I said, okay, well, I guess we're going to Sedona. And so I booked a room and the next morning I left. And I don't know, like for anyone who knows about Sedona, but it's known to have these really, really spiritual healing place. And so I went with, as I always do with all these ideas of all these things that was going to happen. I knew that I needed to heal this part of myself, the seven-year-old girl. I knew that it was time that I just started facing this because, you know, I couldn't just keep ignoring it. So all of these like crazy, insane things happened while I was there. I went to these different vortexes and you know, I got lost for like six or seven hours with this like baby amount of water and somehow I found my way out. And so I kept like, I left and I was like rationalizing saying, okay, well, maybe that's what that experience was. You're supposed to see how powerful and strong and courageous you are and you can get yourself through anything. I don't know. Some, I was just trying to find meaning in this trip. And so I decided to go back to LA. And while I was leaving Sedona, there was this one vortex that I said, you know what, I'm just going to go and get a final view there. It was like the one vortex I did not want to go to because mm. it sounded lame. And uh, so I went up there and I was just like taking in the scenery and looking out at the vista. And I turned around to go back to my car. And when I turned around, I saw sitting up against the rock, my seven-year-old self. Wow. And she was in her, I was in my camp clothes and knees pulled up against my chest, arms wrapped around them. And she's looked at me and she said, it took you long enough. Wow. 
And I know like for the average person and I would have been that average person that thinks, okay, that's crazy. She's nuts. But I always say like, as real as I'm sitting here with you right now, so was she. Hmm. And so I sat down next to her and we talked and I told her that I couldn't protect her any longer, that between my weight and everything that I was, I felt like I was trying to keep everybody in the world away from her and from me. And so I had to let her go and that I loved her, but that it was time for us to separate. And so it seemed like hours that we were talking, but I'm sure it was only a couple of minutes because the next thing I knew is that I heard giggling and I turned and it was like two teenagers making out there. <laughs> and so I went back to my car and I didn't want to look back because I thought if I looked back, I wouldn't like it wasn't real, but I just knew that it was. And so on my drive back to LA, like I started feeling a little lighter, but there was still something that didn't feel right. And without making this, I'm sorry, a huge story, but no, uh, I think it's powerful. Like, please keep going. Okay. Um, so when I drove back, it was, I did what I did best, which was take a, a memory, a moment, and just like put a red bow around it and put it in a drawer and go, okay, well, that's it. Even though physically I knew something was still not right. So fast forward to five years later, and, you know, I was still with my behaviors, but getting better, starting to weed people out of my life, you know, a little more healing, but I was dating my now fiance. We were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time and we broke up. And so it was like this huge devastating blow. And I did what I, my movie mind thought that I should do, which was go off to Italy for the summer uh, and do the whole eat, pray, love thing. And I mm -hmm. called it heal, right, love. And I'm going to go off on this adventure because I didn't know what else to do. And so I spent three months alone in Italy in the small village where nobody speaks English. And so it was a lot of time with myself. Mm. Like, yeah, time that most of us don't get with ourselves. Yeah. And it was my third to last day there. And I was in one of my favorite churches in Florence. And I got there, I would always go in the early morning before anyone else was there. And I would watch the light come in the sunlight through the stained glass windows and listen to the creak on the floor. And it was just my, my third to last morning there. And I just had my eyes closed and feeling the warmth on my face from the sun. And all of a sudden I heard a voice that said, you weren't supposed to leave her. You were supposed to love her. Wow. And wow. that was the day from there that I realized that that's what was missing. I wasn't supposed to leave her behind that day on the rocks of Sedona. I was supposed to take her with me. And we were supposed to spend time together and heal together and connect together. And that's the work that I do every single day is that I learn to re-meet myself, to reconnect with her, to allow her to express herself, to talk about how scared she was and how sad she was and to sit with her and hold space for her. That's incredibly powerful. This episode is brought to you by Consentware an apparel brand with the goal of creating consent culture for kids, teens, and adults. Moms can wear a canvas tote or a t-shirt that says, in our home, we teach and practice consent. Or kids can go to school with a shirt that says, hashtag my body, my rules, I'm a consent empowered kid. Or preschoolers can wear a t-shirt that says, no hugs, kisses, or tickles without consent to the next family gathering. These are clothes that make a statement to help them set boundaries and create a culture of consent wherever they go. Learn more at consentware.com to check out all the most popular designs today. Link is in the show notes.
Now let's get back to the show. Okay, I, I just have to take a moment to say like, I'm just uh, like almost speechless. I don't even know what to ask you next because that's just such a powerful story. And I think we all have this part that we've left behind because it's it's too scary or we feel it's too ugly to look at or whatever it is. And and we feel like we've abandoned some part of ourselves. And you mean, you just, you were able to to confront that in different ways. And I love also the fact that you recognize that you, first of all, that that happened, right? And to embrace that experience, you know, the first time in Sedona, and then take some steps towards healing, right? So you, you know, you said in the, those five years, you know, you, you started getting a little bit better, more aware, more conscious of your choices and decisions and healing, like moving towards healing, and then took this, you know, that, that moment of change uh, you know, where you separated and had some time for yourself. And when we're able to have that time with ourselves, that is so powerful because I think we have no choice but to be self-aware. Mm -hmm. And and that is a scary thing to do. Like for most people, they don't want to sit with themselves really. You know, it's like so much easier to be distracted, to be outward instead of inward and you put yourself in a place where you had no no other option but to be inward and then you got this message of this is what you're supposed to do and and then took that and made those next so i understand now why you said it's so magical because yeah that is it's incredible like that you know not everyone has that space to do that and and you were given i think the universe works in interesting ways and i think you were given that you know that journey so that you could help others find that journey. And is so, I, you know, now that I'm thinking of it, so my next question to you is, is that what helped inspire you to then write the book and to, you know, really create this movement to help others re recognize that they can also find joy? Yes, 100%. Um, first, what you said about it's hard for us to go within. That's why the pandemic was so challenging this last year for everybody, because yeah. we were all forced to slow down. And I knew it was, by the way, the second week of lockdown here in Los Angeles. And I would go out every day for Starbucks though, because it was considered essential. And <laughs> the drive through all masked up and everything. And I remember I was sitting at the light, at a red light. Nobody else was out on the road. And literally the words came out of my mouth aloud. It said, thank God for my trauma. Hmm. And it was the first time that I felt deep gratitude for it because of the space that we were in in the world. And the fact that I had spent so much time with myself and with that discomfort that I felt gratitude that we all have been given this opportunity to do it, no matter how scary right. and hard that is. Right. Uh, and, and that was a lot of the work that I did with people in my community was how can we sit here with ourselves right now and take this time and be okay with it. So the book began, you know, I went to Italy because I, I had this idea that I was going to write a book. I didn't know what it was. I knew that it was going to be my story of abuse. And I knew, but obviously I didn't know to the third to last day that what was actually it was going to be about until I got that message. But I had all the pieces of it. And while I was in Italy, I didn't actually find myself writing very much um, what I thought I was going to write. I was writing these, I called them daily giornos which, you know, each day. So just everything I was observing. But what I found in those 94 days that everything that I was observing was not only life 
around me, but life within me. Mm. And I thought people aren't going to want to read like a daily journal of my life, but I posted it on Facebook every day and people were like sucked into it because they watched the unfolding of me being by myself and, and, and all of that. And so uh, it actually took me a few more years after Italy to publish the book to completely write it because I still wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. um, but during that time, I was sharing and teaching and, you know, one of our coping mechanisms, or I don't even know if it's coping, but, you know, this whole perfectionism thing. And so for many years, I spent like, well, the book's not good enough and this and that. And uh, it wasn't until actually 2018 that I finally got it together and then published it um, a year later. But it all stemmed from that trip and what I discovered about myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I mean, so grateful that you did write it. And one of the things that I, you know, really find interesting is that now, you know, if somebody was to meet you for the first time, I don't think anybody would have any idea of your journey when they first met you, because, you know, you have this, this magnetic, joyful energy about you. And I would love to, you know, kind of pick your brain about the book and who is it meant for? What will they learn when they read it? You know, is it is it inspiration that they're going to get? Like, uh, tell me about the book. And uh, to be 100% transparent for everyone listening, um, I just love Sherry so much and everything that she, like, just from what I know about her and the work she's doing, I haven't read the book yet, but it is definitely something that I'm going to be doing very soon. Um, so tell me about, like, what can people find in the book? And, you know, like I, I recommend it already because I know that people will benefit from being just in proximity to your work will find joy. So tell me about the book. First, thank you so much for that. That means a lot. Uh, the book is actually set as a road trip. Shockingly, that's mm -hmm. what I said. Like I love going out on the road. And so it's set up as a, the journey back to myself and me taking off into the world seeking love, seeking validation, seeking worth, and how I took a trip basically around the world to ultimately end up back to myself. Mm. And it's set up as detours and rest stops. Um, and uh, everything is, so I share a bit about my story in the beginning, but then it's set up as mini chapters. So it's easy to read. And they're more of the life lessons that I've learned along the way. And through my own storytelling, I believe the life lessons are universal. So people can expect by the end to feel perfectly okay where they're at. And that was my hope and that the journey continues. And as we mentioned, we'll go full circle here in this interview, uh, that there is no pinnacle. You know, you don't just get there. It's every day showing up for ourselves. It's every day being compassionate for ourselves, loving ourselves where we're at. And this whole journey of loving yourself happy, it's not just loving yourself when you're happy. Right. It's loving yourself in the pain and in the grief and in the sadness and in the joy and the light and every other place in between. Oh and my gosh, I love that. That's where, that's uh, what I know people get from that, that they're yeah. okay. I'm excited to read it. Um, you know, if, if, if that's, you know, where, where it goes, because I think that, 
Uh, and, and it's so interesting. Okay, so I'm going to share something really interesting is that this morning and I'm because I meditate every morning and when I don't meditate, by the way, I have terrible days and and, and I, I finally have come to terms with that because I, I used to be like, oh, you know, I don't have time to meditate today. I've just got all these things to do and then I wouldn't do it. But so I, I've, I've made it a practice. And interestingly enough, this morning, one of the things that came up as I was meditating was that sometimes I am afraid of feeling anything but happy because I feel like I have to always project, you know, like, and there was this part of me that thought it's okay if I'm, if, you know, it's like the weather isn't always sunny. Right. And that doesn't mean because it was, and funny enough, that was part of what the, the thought came from was because yesterday was a cloudy day. And I think in my meditation, I must've been wondering like, you know, what the weather is going to be like today. <laughs> and I thought, well, even if, there is clouds out there. I know that deep in me, there is joy. And I have, you know, I've learned how to tap into that, right? And, and to also accept when I don't feel good, like to also be okay with that, because much like I teach my children, all feelings are okay. And I think I, you know, that's something that just culturally we're not taught. And I love that you talk about that because I think when people hear joy, like they, you know, someone who's joyful all the time, you know, you spoke about that even earlier where it was like just external, but it's okay to, you know, really accept all parts of ourselves. And like you said, come back full circle, this radical self-acceptance is, you know, for survivors, I think so hard that they think they have to get to this place or they have to be this way. And if they aren't, then it's all for nothing. Like it's all for, you know, for not, and, and it's not within their reach. And I think, you know, this idea that you can start to move in that direction of self-acceptance of all parts of yourself, like that compassion, I think that that's truly where joy comes from. And it's also where healing comes from. So, I mean, I, I just absolutely love that. I love, love, love that. Oh my goodness. Well, Sherry, thank you so much for sharing your story, your deeply personal story. I think that it's powerful. Uh, I, you know, just grateful for when survivors that are thrivers, like consider you a thriver, um, are willing to share. You know, we, we don't discuss it enough. And so we don't realize that other people are going through these things. And there's so much power in our stories. So thank you for being willing and vulnerable. Um, to share that and to put it in a book so that it can empower others. Is there anything that you'd like to share before we wrap up that I maybe didn't touch on? I just, I want to say this about joy because I'm still trying to find a way that people understand that joy is not, to me, the understanding of true joy is allowing ourselves to be fully expressed in all of ourselves. So mm -hmm. as I, so I, I really want to get that message across that joy is not about being foo-foo and happy all the time and all of that up there. So it's about fully connecting to yourself and being okay with where you're at. And that is what ignites our joy. Mm -hmm. So that, that's just what I want to leave with everybody that it's possible because you're possible and that connection with yourself will light you up. I love that. You're possible. I love that. Thank you again. I mean, I, I could talk to you for hours. I, I think that we need to do another one because there's more that I want to dig into. Um, but I, I want people to go out and get the book. I want to read the book and I want to bring you back on to talk about it because I know that there's going to be more 
Um, th there's just so many lessons here. And again, I think for survivors and those who support survivors, this can be of so much value. So if you're listening, please let us know what were your favorite takeaways? What are you going to take action on? Uh, share it, screenshot this and share it on Instagram and tag us. Um, Sherry, how can people connect with you and how can they find you? I know that you're on Instagram. Where else can they connect with you? Yes. So Instagram, and then I am on Facebook. I have a community over there. Uh, it's under sharing with Sherry is the uh, URL, the, the handle. And then of course my website where you can connect to everywhere, all of my social, which is sherryelise.com. Awesome. And of course, uh, listeners, I'm going to link all of those in the show notes. Um, so thank you again. I am just so appreciative of you and your time and your, your light and your energy in the world. Um, listeners, again, please let us know if you are going to go get a copy. What was your favorite takeaway? What are you going to take action on? How are you going to step into your healing journey? We would love to know. So please be sure to do that and share this episode with others that will help spread the joy. Sherry, thanks again. And listeners, tune in next time because we're going to have another great episode. Thanks for being here today. Bye. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture, one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.